0: is the mulberry lane show Show. exclusive interviews fun music celebrities your weekend getaway now here's mulberry lane rachel beau and alley cat
1: be a part of the family Hey, it's the weekend Mulberry Lane here It's Allie with your radio sisters Rachel and Bo And it's time for the Mulberry Lane Show
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, we're so glad you're here Get ready to roll Because here are the guests The Mulberry Lane Show's on Celebrity
1: story songs You're gonna have it going on When we tell you who's stopping by now First up today, guys, you're going to meet music mogul and legend David Foster. Now, this guy wrote or produced so many songs, so many hits, including winning a Grammy for the production of I Will Always Love You, Whitney Houston. He also wrote the song, I Have Nothing, for Whitney Houston. He produced the iconic duet of Nat King Cole and Natalie Cole for the song, Unforgettable. He wrote, After the Love is Gone, Earth, Wind, and Fire. He wrote and produced The Prayer, Andrea Bocelli and Celine Dion. Wrote the song, Glory of Love, Peter Cetera. He wrote Grown Up Christmas List for Amy Grant. And produced the smash hit, Because You Loved Me, for Celine Dion. And there are so many more guys, but I gotta stop the
2: list right there. We could pretty much list songs for the whole duration of the show. (laughs) We really could. And this guy has 47 Grammy nominations, 16 of which he won. He's the seventh most Grammy-nominated artist in the history of Grammys. Today, he's going to tell you all about his musical career, his highlights. And guys, you know how we sing the musical intros
1: for each of our guests. This is the first time this has happened, but David Foster tweaks our song. So you got to hear this. (laughs) And you'll also find out what Omahan is his very, very good friend. Stay tuned for that. Okay, then you're going
2: to meet Alicia Dennis Now she's the senior editor for People Magazine She's going to tell you all about the new investigation discovery show Crimes of Fashion Which further investigates the murders of Versace and Gucci And fascinating tales today Or maybe I should say coattails today (laughs) From Alicia Dennis Ali, who else?
1: finally meet author Kendall Rose. Now, if you're a stepmom and if you're in the role of raising stepkids, she'll be your new best friend. Kendall has created a community all about support. You're going to want to pick up her new book, The Stepmoms Club, How to Be a Stepmom Without Losing Your Money, Your Mind, and Your Marriage. Kendall offers some great advice today, and she's got a big online presence, so you've got to check her out. Okay, well, guys, you're going to hear right now something cool that happened to us. It was very out of the blue. We got a message that a song from the Mulberry Lane Song Catalog was actually picked up and aired in the ABC hit show, The Goldbergs. Now, this episode aired in April. It was a song that we wrote with our Boston songwriting buddies, Dow Brain and Brad Young. And what's so cool about this is we've had movie soundtrack placements before, but this is our first major network song placement. We wanted to share that fun and exciting news with you Stay right there Coming up next, a music hangout with David Foster Keep it here with your radio sisters on the Mulberry Lane Show Woo.
3: All right. We are family I've got all my
0: sisters with me Meet the celebrities on your radio station Back to the Mulberry Lane Show Now, here's Mulberry Lane
2: David Foster is a 16-time Grammy-winning songwriter, producer, arranger, performer, and brought you superstars like Celine Dion, Josh Groban, and Michael Buble. And right now, you guys get to know David up close and personal.
1: David Foster here, you're in luck. Meet the music man with the magic
2: touch.
4: Yeah, I like that, but I only heard you. I didn't hear your sister.
2: You didn't hear my harmony?
4: No. Well, we better do it again then. Yeah, I heard the melody.
2: Okay, let's do it again. (laughs) We gotta do this right for you. We'll do it on one mic. Yeah. Okay. Here we go.
1: Here we go. Okay. David Foster here. You're in luck. Meet the Music Man with the magic
4: touch. And that's what I do for a living.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That was a absolutely perfect demonstration. Perfect. We love Perfect. it. Okay. Well, we are so happy to have you on the show, and we would like you to talk about what people can expect from an intimate evening with David Foster.
4: Sure. Well, basically, you know, I've had this really long career, a lot of misses, but a lot of hits as well. Mm-hmm. And so I have three incredible singers with me, Shalea, who sings with Stevie Wonder, Pia Toscano, who is a finalist on American Idol, okay. and a great guy named Fernando Varela. And I have a great band. And uh, videos and stories and just stories behind the songs. And then we perform the songs. And what I've learned, girls, is that obviously people would love to see Celine and Streisand and Whitney and all that out there. But the songs work because they're all hits. And if they are performed well, the people get the same satisfaction.
2: I bet. You recently released your best-selling autobiography, Hitman. So going back through your career, did that kind of inform the show?
4: You're probably right. I haven't really thought about that, but... It probably did. You know, for so many years, I just made music and never really knew who I was reaching because you're just in the studio, four walls, no windows. And you put the music out there and then you look at Billboard magazine and the record company calls you and says it's a hit or it isn't. And then you move on to the next project. So this is a way of really looking out and playing songs and having people sing along with them. And it's really a great feeling.
2: Okay, so now I've read that you believe there are three rounds in each person's life. Now, your first round was as a studio musician and a recording artist, then as the hottest producer-songwriter on the planet, and now you feel like you're into your third round. So talk about what that looks like and what informs your rounds. How do you know where you're going next?
4: Um, I guess it's just the way you retreat and attack in another direction when something's not working. You just retreat and attack in another direction. The people that aren't smart are the ones that bang their head against the brick wall when things aren't working and they don't know to try something else. So the retreat is very important. It is, and I've always been pretty good at reinventing myself, and I don't kid myself about Top 40. Top 40 is not something that I'm involved in anymore, although I had my 20-year lion's share of it. But now there's Michael Bublé and Josh Groban and Andrea Bocelli for me to work with that don't do Top 40, but they sell CDs, and there's touring, there's television shows. I'm developing a television show with Dr. Phil right now. Mm. Nothing to do with music and just all these other things that I want to do. So I'm solidly in my round three and it feels just as good as the first two rounds.
2: Okay, so now life can get messy and it can get difficult what I would like to know is how do you protect your creativity so that you can continue to come out with new projects and new ideas especially when you know this music business is not always easy you have a lot of naysayers but then you also have the comfort of much success too so how do you keep your fire
4: it's a great question and you girls being songwriters and performers you kind of probably know your own answer to it but I would say that I'm always prepared for failure, always. So I saw this transition. I saw my round three coming when I was hot into round two. And so I think preparation for the next thing is inevitable. And the only thing constant is change. You know that nobody can sit at the top forever, and you know that there's going to be ups and downs. And the people that don't expect that there's ever going to be a downturn really get themselves into trouble because you have to manage expectations. And if you don't manage expectations, you're really going to be unhappy with yourself. And I'm relatively happy with myself. I would like to win more Grammys. I would like to write a song with Drake and have it be on the radio. It'd be great. It's probably not going to happen. So managing expectations is really, really important. And I think I've done it quite well.
2: Well, if you've just tuned in, you're listening to multi-talented music mogul, David Foster, who besides winning 16 Grammys, he's also won an Emmy, a Golden Globe, and has had three Oscar nominations. You're visiting here with David Foster on the Mulberry Lane Show. Where do you get your creative inspiration? Are you a morning creator, an evening creator? Do you have to go somewhere? Or are you always creating?
4: This is the sad, sad part. Is that Allie that just asked me that? Rachel. Oh, Rachel. Rachel. For me, writing music and working on music is a job. Okay. It's a great job, but it's a job. I don't wake up in the middle of the night and get inspired. For instance, tomorrow I'm working with Jessie J. We're working on a special song for a special project. Uh-huh. She's coming over at noon, and I know that at noon i got to be ready to create. Okay. So I'm not going to lay awake tonight and try to get inspired about and try and imagine what we're going to do. When she hits the room at noon at my house here, We'll go to the keyboard, and we'll start creating, and that'll be that. And And it'll either be great or it won't. It's hard to imagine that it wouldn't be great with her, because she's such an amazing singer.
2: And you're managing Um, your expectations. You are expecting yourself to be ready to create at noon tomorrow.
4: Yeah, and if we don't, we don't. And I won't lose any sleep over
2: it. Okay. When you are in the producer booth, or when you are there producing, do you lead with your heart or your head?
4: Well, some people say I'm heartless in the studio. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um i it's a benevolent it's a benevolent dictatorship okay. i mean i believe the compromise breeds mediocrity uh-huh. so yeah. obviously the most important person in the room is the artist not me but most artists 99 percent of artists need and want direction mm-hmm. i know that when i made my solo albums even though they weren't that successful way back in the day i had a producer because i wanted direction because yeah. you you're too close to yourself mm-hmm. and so most great singers love taking direction. It doesn't mean that you can't fight about it and have strong debates, but I want to be the boss in the studio. Okay, yeah. So
2: now, as far as the artists you discovered, Celine Dion, Josh Groban, Michael Buble, what was it about them that spoke to you or touched you? And was that something you knew the public would embrace and
4: get? Well, first of all, Celine Dion was a big star in Quebec when I came upon her, so I can't really take credit for discovering okay. her, but I did bring her to America, and did her first album. We had, you know, many, many hits together, like The Power of Love and uh, To Love You More and All By Myself and a long string of Mm hits. But I always feel that people say, oh, you've got a magic touch. I don't think I do at all. I think I just see things the way the average person sees them. I mean, I saw Celine Dion and thought that millions of people would love her. That makes me the common man. I don't think you could be an elitist and find a huge star. That would sell millions of records. Mm-hmm. You know? I saw Michael Bublé at a wedding. He came out bouncing on the stage singing uh, Mac the Night. I was like, holy crap, this guy's amazing. Wow. Uh, people are going to love this guy. Uh-huh. I don't think that makes me smart at all.
1: Okay. So you probably feel like you're very clued into the general public, what most people would like.
4: Well, I want to find things that you would like. Mm-hmm. You right. Know? I mean, I don't want to find things that the guy that writes for Rolling Stone likes because uh-huh. they're a leader. Right. You know, there's nothing wrong with Rolling Stone, but they're elitist.
2: Yes. Right. That's so true.
4: I'm not interested in selling two records. I love, you know, that Celine, we were selling 25 million records of pop, that The Bodyguard sold 45 million, that uh, Tony Braxton sold 12 million. You know, I like that. Yeah. Okay, I mean, it's now, not about the money, it's about success.
1: Right. Now, besides the appeal and the songs of an artist, do you also feel like your ears are sonically, I'm sure you do, but like sonically tuned very accurately.
4: Um, They are, because I have, you know, a musical gift, which I get to apply, but I believe that anybody's capable of discovering a star. I just happen to be able to follow up, go in the studio, play the piano, write the songs or co-write the songs, arrange the songs for orchestra, and make the finished product. But I think you could still, there's many, many A&R people, great A&R people that work at record companies that find talent. don't play an instrument and can't produce a record but they can sure find talent
2: Gotta take a quick break, stay right there There's more with Hitman David Foster after this Keep your creativity in high gear right here on the Mulberry Lane Show If I
3: should stay I would only be in
0: Bringing you the stories behind the songs. Back to the Mulberry Lane Show. Now, here's Mulberry Lane.
2: Thanks for keeping it here with your radio sisters on the Mulberry Lane Show. In the middle of a chat with songwriting and producing legend David Foster. Let's get back right now with a very important question.
1: That whole online debate with the recording where people could hear Laurel or Yanni. What did you hear?
4: Uh, I think I heard Laurel. Okay. What did you hear?
1: Well, I heard Laurel first, and then yeah. like, after a week, I could then hear Yanny.
2: And yeah. I heard them both.
4: Yeah. Weird, huh? Uh-huh. Yeah, that was strange.
2: So now, how much do you feel does arrangement play into whether a song is a hit or not?
4: I think it plays a lot into it. Although, in the end, what people care about is the beat and the vocal. And I know that to be a fact. You know why? Okay. Because you, when you walk through a mall... And you hear a song playing in the mall over those crappy speakers mm-hmm. all you hear is the vocal and a little bit of the beat it's you don't true. hear the chords yeah. you don't hear the string lines you don't you just hear the vocal and a little bit of the beat and I'm going really back way before my time now but imagine okay. Frank Sinatra walks into the studio and he's doing the song I've got you under my skin and he comes in and Nelson riddle comes well here's my chart and it starts out that's not part of the song, right. but it made the song.
1: Yeah, yeah.
4: Right? And Absolutely. Uh, think about Paul Young's song with that great fretless bass line. I mean, there's so many examples of where the arrangement really helped the song. Really
2: lifted the song. So now, what yeah. artists have you worked with throughout your career that surprised you in that they were way more successful than you thought, or maybe it didn't take off in the way you thought it would?
4: Well, there's many artists I work with that didn't take off, for sure. I mean, you mentioned the group The Core's. Um, yes. I loved them from the day I saw them um, and they were super successful in Europe. We could never ever break them in America and I don't know why to this day that we couldn't get the first base in America. We tried and tried and then after three albums of me producing them I said okay well it must be my fault. <laughs> so because they were signed to me I hired Mutt Lang the great producer of Shania, Shania Twain and, yeah. and ACDC and Def Leppard and he couldn't even get them a hit so then I realized it maybe wasn't my fault. Uh-huh. Um I did a song called Man in Motion, which actually went to number one from San Elmo's Fire. Right. And the artist was a guy named John Parr, who was pretty much a one-hit wonder uh, in America, but a great guy. And I never thought that song would become a hit, and it ended up going to number one. So you never know.
2: You
1: never know. Now, have you ever no. been in the studio where you get tears in your eyes during a performance?
4: Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> I know that sounds cold, but no, because it's work. I've been amazed, I mean, when I used to watch Peter Satir, I mean, I've been amazed at Peter Satir when he would sing our songs and how incredibly laser beam it was Both, like, I got amazed when I was with Whitney, how she would work for 10 hours on the movie set of The Bodyguard and then come in, throw her jacket off and step up to the mic and go. I've been amazed when I put Natalie Cole and her father together at the beautiful blend of the two Mm -hmm. family voices together. I was amazed at how hard Madonna worked when we worked together and what a great co-producer was and what an on-time girl she was how dedicated she was as a as a real artist and a real producer. I was amazed every time I got in the studio with Josh Groban and know that there's a thousand other people like Josh, but they're just not quite like Josh. He could literally sing the phone book and kill it.
2: Did you just listen to that list? Do you ever <laughs> stop and think, wow, this is my life?
4: <laughs> I, I did just then, because you asked me to. <laughs>
2: Yeah, because when we were, somebody said to us once, when you make your list of what you've done and it sounds like, you know, you're totally bragging, but it's just your life, that's when you know you've been phenomenally successful. That was actually Rob Thomas who said.
4: Oh, that's good. Well, you know, I'm one of those guys that, and and I really mean this, I swear to God on my life, that I know I've accomplished a lot. But in some mornings I wake up and think I've done nothing and I, I better get with it. It's not too late to really get on it because. When your whole life can be encapsulated in one wall of gold records and one piano with Grammys on it, it's like, Jesus, is that—is that it? I mean, like, what, what, there's got to be more to it than that. There's got to be more in my life than that. So maybe that's the key to success is that you're always moving the goalposts and pushing your boundaries and never happy with yourself. And there are things I want to still do. I want to have a hit Broadway play I want to win a Tony. I love touring. That's so uh, awesome. You know, really good songs. And uh, I have my dear friend, dear friend, Walter Scott. I don't know if you know that yes. name or not.
2: Yes. Um, oh, yeah.
4: He's Omaha's greatest citizen and has done so much for that
2: Absolutely. Uh, city. And I, yeah.
4: and I hope you'll leave this in the interview because Walter Scott is my dear friend. He's been so good to my foundation work in Canada. He's just pure gold, this guy. And Cindy, his friend Cindy, help him with his fundraisers. And And you um, are also
2: a big philanthropist. I mean, you have foundations and a lot of things that you have done, you know, with your success. Mm -hmm. To give back. Yeah.
4: Yeah, I mean, obviously it's a responsibility. And and I think if you're raised right, it's just an automatic thing. Mm -hmm. And um, for somebody like Walter Scott, I would do anything
2: you're hearing from David Foster right here on the Mulberry Lane Show. A few random facts about David Foster. He has been nominated for Grammys 47 times, winning 16 of them. He is the seventh most Grammy-nominated artist right behind Beyonce. So now I have a question about, you know, because you said that in the studio, you know, Allie asked you if you'd ever had tears came to your eyes and you said no. And you tend to be cold in the studio. But so many of your hits and so many of your songs are huge love ballads and and romance. And are you a romantic at heart?
4: Now, you know that the answer to that is yes.
2: Okay. You would have to be.
4: I would have to be. I've been married four times. And
2: coming up a fifth. Congratulations.
4: That's right, so i'm I'm a total romantic, and um I, I, you know I guess you could say I'm the worst person to ask for advice, um or I'm just you know I'm in love with love and I love being married, and I don't know I have, don't have the answer to that, but okay. I'm a romantic but
1: the switch is that when you're working, you're working, and that's why
4: exactly, yes. and maybe you girls can relate to that i mean. Work is work, right? Yeah, yep.
1: work is work, but we, we tend to start crying in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we tend t- to be emotional but messes but We're the at artists. Times. <laughs> we are the artists, not the producers.
4: Yeah. So, so let me ask you a loaded question in this political climate today. It's probably not even a, a PC question to ask, but would you say that girls, women, are more emotional than men?
2: You know, I honestly, I think it depends on the person. Me too. I don't think it's yep. gender specific. And I, I have four kids. I have two boys and two girls. And mm-hmm. I will tell you, my boys are way more emotional than my girls. Really? Which is really surprising yes. to me. And I have two kids
1: and my girl is more emotional than my boy. So. Interesting. What's your answer to that?
4: I always thought women were more emotional.
1: And, you know, we're four sisters, and we have to say that we're, mm. we're much more emotional than our dad.
2: And then exactly. our emotion feeds off, because if one of us starts crying, then the other one will. I mean, it, it feeds itself, too. So it probably it's environmental, I would think, too.
4: Yeah, nature versus nurture. Yeah. I, mean, I always said to myself that my emotion comes through my piano, and okay. it comes through my fingers. I like when I sit at the piano is when I feel the most emotional.
1: And you okay. feel it. Do you feel it, like, in your arms and everything?
4: I do. I really do. Oh, I love that. Okay, so is that
2: when you feel closest to your creative spirit?
4: Yes, 100%. When you're playing. The piano, I mean, I can't even tell you where my fingers stop and the piano starts. Okay. Because I've been doing it since I was five. It's just been my constant companion, you know.
1: An extension of yourself, really.
4: Yeah, it is.
1: Well, we
2: found out the secret of David Foster.
4: (laughs) (laughs) a hardworking guy that uh, gets some hits and has a lot of mistakes.
2: David, we yeah. want to thank you so much for sharing your heart with us today. It's been fabulous getting to know you. We've watched you from a distance, and it's great to uh, be able to chat with you. It's always nice when the person that you meet up
1: close is better than the person from a distance. You know, sometimes it can go, oh, the, like it can go the
2: opposite way. So. Yeah.
1: yeah, So we like thoroughly well, enjoyed this.
4: Um, Allie, Rachel, I wish you continued success. All right, thanks, thanks, girls. Really appreciate it.
2: That's music icon David Foster here on the Mulberry Lane Show. When we come back, you're going to meet People Magazine editor Alicia Dennis once again. She's back to tell you all about the brand new series, People Magazine Investigates Crimes of Fashion on Investigation Discovery. Right here with your radio sisters on the Mulberry Lane Show.
3: For all those times you stood by me, for all the truth that you made, to my life for all the wrong that you made right for every dream you made come true for all the love I am you I'll be forever fine, oh baby
0: we've got you covered the mulberry lane show Now, here's Mulberry Lane.
2: Well, if you've ever shown up at a party way overdressed or underdressed, you might call it a fashion faux pas. Now, it may not rise to the level of a fashion crime. Well, here is something that does. People Magazine Senior Editor Alicia Dennis, now you've met her here once before. Well, she's back to tell you all about Investigation Discovery's new series, Crimes of Fashion, which takes an in-depth look at the actual murders of fashion icons. Now, the series airs Mondays at 8 p.m. on Investigation Discovery. Welcome, welcome
5: back to the show, Alicia Dennis. That's my favorite welcome ever of all time. (laughs) (laughs) Okay,
2: now this series is all about cold-blooded murder of some of the iconic label heads. So what are we in for when we tune into this series?
5: Well, I think you're going to see a lot of wealth, a lot of opulence, a lot of luxury, and obviously greed, secrets, and murder. The first show that we have coming up is the assassination of Maurizio Gucci. He was the head of the Gucci empire, and uh, at the time of his death, he... Lost control of that empire and was kind of embarking on a lot of new business ventures, including a casino operation, which often has, you know, connections to organized crime. He was targeted by a hitman in the lobby of his Milan office, which was very close to the apartment where he was staying. And that hitman killed him and then vanished. At the time that police began to investigate this, this was, you know, a man who was very well known, who you wouldn't think anybody would be able to get to. They were so shocked to discover how many people were suspects, how many people really actually wanted Maurizio Gucci dead. He had a lot of enemies. A lot. He had had a ruthless takeover of the Gucci empire. There had been a lot of infighting amongst his family. Okay, so there were family members
2: as suspects as well.
5: Yes. Okay. And his ex-wife, who had been telling pretty much everyone she ran into that she wanted him dead, oh. was definitely on the high you know, list of their suspects.
2: Okay. You headed the team of investigative journalists for the show. So anyone discover anything that was surprising, something that hadn't been discovered before?
5: You know what's funny? In all of these cases, even if they're ones that we think we know everything about, each one... Has something surprising in it like as we dig down deeper and try to tell this story in this whole new way we'll end up finding you know a witness or someone who was close to the victim that we didn't know about before and they'll reveal something to us that is completely shocking to us so I think that's one of the things that is so good about the way that we do these investigations is that you can enter into it and go well I know all about this case and this case is one that you know I there's there's nothing new to discover at all and that's just not true we completely find something new in all of them
2: and we get to come along and watch that happen too which is cool yes so do yeah, you ever or anyone on your team ever get threats or people who won't talk
5: yes that okay. does happen you know, we take that very seriously and we make sure that we're looking into any of those kinds of things. Luckily we haven't had anything, you know, serious occur. Okay. When we have people that won't talk, we respect that and okay. we move on to other people that do want to because, you know, for us the whole essence of People magazine is people sharing their own stories through their own eyes, okay. no matter, you know, what section it's in. Okay. So it's really important to us that the people that do talk to us want to. And they, they want to share with us exactly how that experience happened from their point of view.
2: Well, if you just joined us here on the Mulberry Lane Show, you're listening to People Magazine editor Alicia Dennis talking all about Investigation discoveries, new series, Crimes of Fashion. Now, you also cover Versace.
5: We do. Okay. And, you know, the murder of Versace shocked the entire world. It was one that everyone grieved, everyone knew about um, in July of 1997 when he was gunned down in broad daylight on the steps of uh, his mansion there. And you would think, uh, I think people with that
2: iconic status would have security.
5: Yes, he would. Uh-huh. Yes, he would. And, and the thing with Versace is, you know, he was very successful. He was the top of his game. He had just come back from a show where he had launched a new line. Everything was going well. But the thing that he loved about going to Miami was that he was able to feel normal, and he didn't want any bodyguards around him. He liked walking down the street by himself to get a cup of coffee and pick up some magazines at the newsstand. He wanted that feeling of, I'm just an everyday guy, and I can go do this. And so because of that there was no one protecting him okay. when he was killed. Wow. Yeah.
2: So then what do you hope viewers take away from watching this?
5: Well, I hope that as people are sort of enamored with the glamour and wealth and the, opulence and yeah. Yes. <laughs> and the life that you wish you had. You look at it and you go, Oh, if I could only if Wouldn't I could that only have nice? that life. Yeah. Yes. But that they also realize that at the core of these people's lives. They're human people who have intricate and complicated relationships, and maybe the thing that you wish you had is something that you don't want. Uh-huh.
2: And maybe maybe you're better off with exactly what you have right now. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Okay. Well, Alicia, it's always great to catch up with you. And again, this series is Crimes of Fashion, which airs Monday nights, 8 p.m. on Investigation Discovery. Thanks, Alicia. <laughs> Chat with Thank you again. you. Alicia Dennis with People Magazine. When we come back after the break, we want you to meet
1: Kendall Rose. She's going to tell you all about her new book, The Stepmoms Club. Stay right here for more inspiration. Coming right back at you from the Mulberry Lane Show.
0: Back to the Mulberry Lane Show. Here's Mulberry Lane.
2: Well, if you're a stepmom or know a stepmom, then you're going to want to get your hands on a new book, The Stepmoms Club, How to Be a Stepmom Without Losing Your Money, Your Mind, and Your Marriage. Now, author Kendall Rose is here to give you some tips from the book and why this guide written by stepmoms will help you through the pitfalls of stepmotherhood. Welcome, welcome to the show, Kendall Rose. Thank you so much for having me on this. Yeah, it's great to have you with us. Now, first you have to talk about how the book actually came about.
6: It came about from a group of friends who we are all stepmothers. And we would get together on a monthly basis and really help one another out as stepmoms. Give each other advice, talk about scenarios. And one day we realized, you know what? These would have been great things to know Uh before we became a stepmom. Literally, we turned over a napkin and started writing out the things we wish we knew before we said "I do."
2: Okay, and that basically became the basis of the book.
6: Correct. And fifteen years later, here's the book. Here's it's the Step book. Up.
2: Okay, so now you found that even though every family is different and each situation is unique, there are the same kind of character types that inhabit, you know, our lives. And there's the evil ex-wife, the greedy lawyer, the nosy family member. So you found, you know, that these characters cropped up and how to deal with them.
6: Yes, absolutely. In so many of these step-family situations, the themes are so common. And it became evident that knowing how to handle it at the time that it comes up would be fantastic. And that's why this is written as a guide. It is that resource with checklists and scenarios and personal stories so people can relate to it. And chances are they've actually had situations like this. And then there's all these websites in the book that you can refer to. Resources. And we want this to be your girlfriend's guide and that gives you a big hug and letting you know that you're not alone. There are 18 million stepmothers in the U.S. alone. And they're all
2: going through similar things. There's all sorts of challenges facing a stepmom. And you know, one of those is you, you come in and you have to set up rules for the stepkids. How do you
6: broach that? Think about it from any family. There are chores to be done. Mm-hmm. Not everybody likes to do chores, but it's important to get together as a family. Talk about and decide what chore do you want to do. There might be a chore that you're willing to do more so than another chore and outline it and know what is expected of you and know what the consequences are i mean talking about this as a family brings the unity stronger and tighter together
2: now of course there's the whole emotional side of somebody resisting the stepmom or i hate you or you know my mom hates you too and you know so how do you deal with the emotional side
6: Well, that comes up so often. It is incredible how often we hear, my mommy hates you, and my mommy tells me I should hate you too. What we say to stepmothers is just be prepared. At some point, at some time, that might come out of your stepchild's mouth. And be prepared with an answer, such as, I'm really sorry to hear that. I like your mom. Or, we love you. I am here for you. Just know what you want that answer to be, and maybe that's a discussion you have with your partner ahead of time to determine what that statement of an answer should be, but just don't be surprised by it. Okay. At some point Preparation
2: is important then on that one. Now, you also talk about how to <laughs> yeah. take the emotion out of situations, which is for, you know, a stepmom, any parent, you know, because a lot of times mm. we get triggered as parents and, and feel ourselves getting angry. So how do you take the emotion out and handle a situation, especially when you're dealing with stepkids? Yeah, we
6: talk about this in the book a lot. Uh, first and foremost, we have a mantra that says, not my monkey, not my circus. Okay. And that is really just kind of like Take that deep breath in Take a step back And realize First and foremost The children didn't have to be put in this situation And they might be lashing out at you in anger okay. And know that it's really not directed at you But they're just lashing out Because you're the one there at that moment mm-hmm. And don't take it so personally yeah. And remember Ease into this It's difficult mm-hmm. It really is But having a mantra, knowing when to take a step back and focus on yourself. Go do something that you were doing prior to becoming a stepmother. Okay.
2: Well, author Kendall Rose is here with you on the Mulberry Lane Show, telling you all about her book, The Stepmoms Club, How to Be a Stepmom Without Losing Your Money, Your Mind, or Your Marriage. You also have a blog that continues more advice for stepmoms.
6: So we provide insights similar to daily situations and challenges stepmoms are navigating through stepmomhood and providing stepmothers with anecdotal information how to handle it we want to be a continued resource even through facebook and instagram and the stepmoms club website because we know it can be lonely at times And you can feel that at times that there's nowhere to turn because you might not have another stepmother to talk to. And if you don't have other stepmothers to talk to, it's hard for them to relate to it. So we are here as your club, as your group, your sisterhood. That's so awesome. And this book is written to help everybody.
2: And before we let you go, on a more personal note, how has this project changed your life?
6: You know, this has been in the work over 15 years. And I have to say that when... People have read the book, we're number one new release for step parenting and blending families on amazon.com and they come back and provide feedback that, oh my gosh, I don't feel so alone anymore. Thank you for being so raw and honest and providing humor. Mm-hmm. It is so good to hear. That's what we wrote it for, to help others.
2: And it's the validation of that that makes all the difference.
6: Exactly (laughs) All right, well Kendall
2: we want to thank you so much for joining the show The book The Stepmoms Club How to be a stepmom without losing your money Your mind and your marriage Kendall Rose is living proof that it can be done And she's here to help you So pick up the book wherever books are sold And Kendall thank you so much for joining the show Thank
6: you so much for having me
1: Kendall, thanks for hanging out today on the Mulberry Lane Show. Okay, guys, who else do we need to thank? Well, we have to thank music guru and legend David Foster for stopping by the show. Be sure you catch David in concert Tuesday, August 7th at the
2: Holland Center in Omaha. You won't
1: regret it. Thanks
2: for sharing your musical heart with us and for bringing amazing music to the world and for bringing the extra to the show today. Mm-hmm, bringing things to another level. Okay, sisters, who else do we need to thank?
1: People Magazine's Alicia Dennis. Now you brought the mystery, intrigue, and murder to the show today. You guys have to tune into the new series on Investigation Discovery called People Magazine Investigates Crimes of Fashion.
2: All right, sisters, that wraps up another episode of the Mulberry Lane Show. And make sure to join us same time, same place next weekend for another edition of the Mulberry Lane Show. Bo, stay happy and stay blessed. Allie, don't forget to be awesome. Rachel, remember, create where you are. And that's a wrap.
3: Yay!